Welcome to What's the Deal, our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll explore the trends that are driving deal making and transforming industries today. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Ben Thompson, and I run the Leverage Finance Capital Markets business for J.P. Morgan and EMEA, based in London. And I'm very happy to have as our guest speaker today the Global Head of Public Assets at Bearings, Martin Horn. Martin, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Ben. Before we dive into a discussion of the markets and the High Yield and Leverage Finance Conference, it'd be great for the audience to get a little bit of background on your experience and then as well a quick overview of the size of the global platform for bearings and the kind of strategies that you would pursue. I guess the early part of my career was spent like so many in our industry jumping around trying to find the thing that you actually wanted to do. I started on a classic bank grad scheme, moved for a relatively short period of time into an investment grade unit that specialized in tax-based financing solutions. It was all very structured and specialized. And then I unusually jumped into one of the big four accounting firms in their corporate finance department, Debt Advisory, which was kind of useful for me where I am now because it involved advising on securitizations of various forms, record labels, student accommodation, and ultimately leverage finance, which was something that really appealed to me. So jump back to a bank in an arranging function, one of the German investment banks, and classically did what you've been doing for many years, Ben, and arranged debt financing solutions, largely for private equity-backed buyouts. And then in 2002, I was approached about this sort of institutional job, and I didn't know much about the institutional market. Frankly, it didn't exist in any substantive form in Europe. It had been around in, in the US for a good decade, but Europe was late to the party as ever. And it just appealed to me. It appealed getting into an industry in a relatively early stage, getting into a business in a relatively early stage. I was fairly risk on as I had no dependents at that time, so... I jumped into what was a relatively small private equity firm and its institutional debt business. Ultimately, that got bought out by Babson Capital. Babson Capital merged with various other asset managers and became bearings. And in that kind of lifespan, I ended up being head of European Levfin and then global head of Levfin and then global head of the public fixed income business. And then ultimately now global head of the public markets business, which incorporates a small specialist equity business as well. It spans from investment grade to high yield, EM, DM rates, sovereign currencies. And the idea is that when we walk into a room with a client, we don't just sell them what we have. We ask them questions on what they need and we should be able to find solutions for them. It's all about providing solutions to whatever particular problem the clients are trying to solve at that point. That's terrific. Really appreciate the background there. And I think, you know, you're well positioned given how many things you've done across as many different types of credit products as you have in the years, because the markets have certainly been an interesting, challenging place to be for the last, really now it feels like running on four years, starting with COVID and then on through the invasion disruption that's happened in a banner year in 2021. While it doesn't feel like we're quite back to truly normal in inverted commas in 2023, it does feel like the most normal year we've had, at least to me, since the COVID spring of 2020. But there certainly have been ups and downs. 
With your background and the breadth of the platform, and with assuming you agree with my statement, how have you and your team been thinking about the market and where the best places are to be in that market right now and how you're positioning your portfolios? Yeah, it's interesting. When you refer to this year as normal, I kind of think about the last 12 months. And I was asked to go and see a very big client of ours just after June results were out. And I look back over the 12 months from June 22 through June 23. And in that time, we had the LDI blow up. We had inflation in double digit territory in most of our jurisdictions. Um, We went through a winter that everyone was widely expecting to have sort of huge industrial shutdowns. We had Credit Suisse go bust. We had a regional banking crisis in the US. We had a debt standoff. And yet when I look back over all those events, the LDI debacle is still ongoing in terms of its ramifications for the institutional market. There was no risk appetite really whatsoever during those periods because so many things just kept knocking us. The international debate was going on about how does the biggest growth in global yields that we've seen in 30 years really affect economies. And there's still a huge bifurcation of perspectives on how this plays out from soft landing to really bad. And you can see that in the way that yields are kind of jumping up and down with every data point that we hit on. So how do I think about life? I look at the market right now and see that the high yield market actually returned 10% over that period with all of those events. And the kind of messaging or the mood music that I'm sensing from clients right now is income is everywhere. That creates various technicals that we have to be aware of. Don't lose me money in this period of time. And there is still a risk aversion in a lot of jurisdictions that we're seeing play out in terms of clients' perspectives. That means, I think, in terms of portfolio positioning, when I think about our franchise, our high-yield franchise, which is the, the riskier end, we used to make a lot of stock by buying assets at somewhere in the 80s and seeing it migrate to par and getting more of those decisions right than wrong. And that's how we outperformed. I don't get the sense that you're getting paid to do that right now. I get the sense that you're getting paid to take the yield opportunities that are there, build a diversified portfolio, know what you don't know. And there's an awful lot what we don't know about the future direction of global economies and position to provide the clients with a predictable level of income that is available to them, that you don't have to reach for it anymore. And so I think that's going to build a a level of conservatism about certainly what our franchise does, and we'll see how the rest of the market behaves. Picking up on that, Martin, as you talk about that search for yield and at the same time predictable returns, have you felt any skew, and I know it's a little bit outside of your remit potentially, but have you felt a skew of the end investors as they try to decide whether they'd rather be buying products in the distributed market versus the private credit market, which is getting a lot of attention in the headlines these days? Yeah, the balance has shifted slightly away from privates. Privates have been a really good asset class and continue to be a really good asset class for investors. You picked up on it in your introduction. We've had so many points of volatility. When you look at five-year performance of most active managers right now, that takes in Q4 18. And you remember that was a bit of a sell-off. The 2020 COVID issues, the 22 rate movements, and whatever we're calling 23. So you've had so many market gyrations during that period that actually having an asset class that is just kind of marked near par, par parish, pays you a level of income. You can put it away in your portfolio. And as long as you don't see too much distress, 
that has kind of really worked for clients. And you've seen it's notable that some of the big private equity companies are all kind of espousing the virtues of private debt right now as the next kind of it pays good fees and clients like it. And they've seen it perform pretty well through a number of kick points on cycles. The private debt market should pay you a premium to the public markets. And that's not so clear anymore. I think in layers of uncertainty, it's a little tougher, the fundraising environment in the private market than it used to be. And what you generally have happened during periods like that is the good franchises will hold out. And you'll find investors are very, very selective around backing the big names that have proven to be more resourceful, more resilient, better credit pickers. And most of the narrative we get from clients about the private markets about picking the right manager. So I don't think it's as easy as it used to be. The premium to publics is more questionable. And I think yield is easy to come by. And private's real hook, if you like, it was a high yield product in a low yield environment. Now in a high yield environment, that's going to change the way people think about the need to reach for risk. Very interesting perspective. And the other perspective I'd like to drill into is because you look at the business globally in your role, how do you feel right now balancing the prospects for in investing or lending in Europe versus the US? Is there an institutional lean one way or the other? And amongst your peers as well, do you feel that there's a, a bias toward the US over Europe or the other way around? It's really difficult to give a clear and coherent answer to that. And the reason being, if you put the, the positives and negatives of both sides of those jurisdictions against each other, the US is clearly in a better economic state, I'd say, overall. You look at where inflation is right now, they've got very low unemployment. The consumer keeps ticking, albeit we're seeing some strain and stress on the edges. On the negative side of that, the US has always been much more risk tolerant. If you look at the average leverage levels in the US market, they're higher. The structural protections you get in US stocks are not good, and you're seeing Lots of people speculating around the state of restructurings and what happens in Chapter 11 and how aggressive dip finances can be. So security and the advocacy around securities is not quite as clear in the US. On the flip side, in Europe, more conservative, generally speaking. And we're certainly seeing some of this through our special operations and capital solutions teams where there's much more tolerance for higher levered deals in the US and much less in Europe makes your job a bit tougher, I think. And you get less jurisdictional certainty. As you know, doing a distressed transaction in France comes with a huge number of pitfalls you probably want to avoid. But the structural protection is almost certainly greater. The intercreditor rights have been somewhat sustained. I wouldn't go too strong on this point, but certainly when we put a US dock next to a European dock and the protections you get, you're in a different place. And all that kind of rambling leads you to a point where it's not clear cut. You're not necessarily getting a huge spread differentiation between one or the other. Yields are kind of on top of each other, not quite, but you know, from a historical perspective, they're certainly closer than they've ever been in our kind of recent history. I think today's market is all about picking your situations in both and really taking your time to understand how you want to position your portfolio, given all the sort of macro uncertainties that are out there. Super. Very helpful. And against that backdrop, I mean, what is the outlook for 2024? You know, broadly speaking, 
more positive, more negative, still have a ways to go. I mean, just love to get your insight and how you would suggest that your managers and others navigate what is still a somewhat an uncertain environment. Yeah, I think as with so many things in our recent history, there is no precedent to where we are because the rate movement we saw should tell you things could get pretty bad. But the unemployment level we're seeing in a lot of jurisdictions actually seems to be underpinning a level of economic performance that none of us were expecting when we got to the start of this year. And I saw some reasonable research that sort of tells you that a rate movement takes six or seven quarters to come through and really start to erode a company's earnings. And again, that kind of fits with what we're seeing in the current earnings profile, the forecasting that we're seeing from most businesses which means we're going to find out how deep this can go in the next few quarters. All of that kind of leads you to be somewhat cautious about 2024. There's also a decent level of refinancing that will have to be done in 24, and we've kind of avoided that. The new issuance market has been pretty light. People aren't going into the market unless they need to. They don't want to necessarily hook in these yield costs for too long a period. Certainly in the lower-rated end of our marketplaces, I think 2024 is going to be largely dictated by, one, an economic outcome that is still highly bifurcated from not that bad to actually could be something that we're going to be concerned about. And it's going to come up against a 2024 refinancing need that we can't avoid any longer. History tells me, to just get slightly more positive, that markets generally find a way. You know, 2020 was a great example of that, where you had the largest industrial shutdown since World War II. And yet we found a way to fund businesses on basically zero earnings. And we put cash at the top of a capital structure and, and saw them through. And history tells me that we'll probably find a way to meet most of these refinancings. Big question mark in my mind is how much of the private equity landscape will just be let go because it doesn't make economic sense for the PE sponsors to kind of follow through with any kind of refinancing assistance. And there will be those names where they just look at it and economically think this doesn't make sense for us anymore. So hand over the keys that will lead to inevitably a spike in restructurings and defaults, whether or not it means investors lose a lot of money from it. That's a different question because there's ways to approach those markets, but it's certainly going to keep us on our toes. And there's certainly a range of results that you could see from 24. Thanks very much for that, Martin. And shifting now to the conference, which will be held here next week in London, it seems like a great time to get all of the participants in the European leverage finance market together, both issuers and borrowers and lenders and investors to come together to discuss and chop through some of the things that you were just touching on around the trajectory of results and the challenges that we might see in 2024 in the financing markets. So with that as backdrop, I know you've attended this conference many times yourself, as have many members of your team. Can you just give us your perspective on the importance of this conference to the European leverage finance community? We'll be having over 1,200 investors and lenders attending, as well as almost 90 presenting companies. Can you just give us your perspective on the value of that to the community? There were a couple of really relevant bank facilitated conferences and JP is definitely one of those. And there's two things that will be somewhat obvious. One is your access to the big lenders, the big companies, and to compare and contrast what managers are telling you. When we think about the macro issues that we faced, certainly in 2022, where central banks lost their way 
is that they kept looking at the theory that made sense to them and stopped listening to people that run businesses. And that was this team transitory, really getting it wrong in terms of where inflation was. These conferences are the ability to kind of listen to people that actually do the work, see the demand curve, think about how they're going to invest their capital or not in CapEx, what their inventory levels are being set up for the sort of demand profile that they're seeing. So it's crucial that you take advantage of these, compare and contrast the messages you're getting. Jurisdictions will give you different results, I'm sure. And certainly some of these bellwethers are going to be crucial to setting our expectations. The other part of it that is really important is to understand what your peers are thinking, because it doesn't really matter if you disagree with them or agree with them. They are going to set a tone and they are a force for the way that capital will be deployed over the coming years. So having that access to your peer group and making sure you understand their thought processes and how they're going to approach things like this refinancing wall, we all know is there. That's going to be crucial for us going forward and can really set the tone for the market in 24. Super. With that, Martin, I'm out of questions, but I would like to thank you very much on behalf of JP Morgan for joining us on the podcast today and look forward to seeing you and many of your team at the conference next week. It's a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for listening to What's the Deal? If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. To stay ahead of the curve, sign up for JP Morgan's In Context newsletter, packed full of market views and expert insights delivered straight to you. To subscribe, just visit jpmorgan.com forward slash in hyphen context. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.